Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. show. Hey, this is Katie Truther with Louisiana Sister Squad podcast. And today I'm speaking with Hannah, also known as Patriarchal Hannah on Twitter. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm Patriarchy Hannah, and I'm at Harmonize Grace on Twitter, and I have a podcast called Patriarchy Country that you can find on Podbean and Spotify currently. I just dropped the first episode yesterday, and I just talk about traditional families, biblical submission, and why feminism is not great. Okay, awesome. Well, it's definitely a pleasure to have you here. And I myself am doing a little deep dive on the feminist movement and not only how the feminist movement affects our society, but how uh, the traditional family or the nuclear family has been uh, suppressed. And so we don't see that lifted up on any kind of like social media or programs that we're watching. We know that it seems to be a very like deviant Everything deviant is being lifted up from girls twerking to being the strong independent woman and all of those things. So I wanted to get started with the feminist movement and how you perceive that to be affecting our society. I view the feminist movement as kind of the first infiltration of communism into our country. So when you read a lot of the early feminist writings, there's a lot of, you know, oppressor, oppressed language in there. And you, when you look at it that way, you can definitely see how that has kind of come through, like, the rest of society. Now you've got people openly advocating for communism. Everyone wants to be able to put themselves in a big victim category, oppressor, t- oppressed type state. And it has really, truly dismantled the you know, it's also very humanistic and it's really taken women out of the home and kind of, you know, in many ways abolished the traditional family, the the idea that, you know, mothers, being a mother is not enough, raising the next generation is not enough. Women need to be able to do the same things as men, but that's not exactly what we're called to do or what is best for us to do. Yeah, I definitely agree and can see kind of the agenda there. You know, having both parents working, that means both parents are paying a lot of income taxes and that is, they're using that to their advantage. Like why wouldn't someone do something to make more money? And so to just put it very simply, that is the role of the government in this. And the more that they can take us away from our children, such as having them in school, even the early education, that means it's more time for us to work and to be separated from our kids. So I think we're seeing a result in that when you see a lot of younger people on social media doing things that they don't understand that it's degrading because I think that with the parents are moved, we're not there to provide a good example to the children. So taking it all the way back to just the start of of our family and our kids are supposed to be our number one priority. 
it's definitely a separation tactic and they're using that to their advantage. Absolutely. Now the big push is for preschools for everybody. And I'm, I'm not necessarily against preschool, but they're wanting to do K3, K4. So now the government wants your children for eight hours a day so you can go earn money to pay more income taxes and they can just start indoctrinating them even earlier. You know, parents in the home uh, with a mother at home, you're going to have somebody who's teaching these children, you know, hey, it's not good to, to twerk on TikTok. It's not good to um, be running around half naked, all of these things. Boys, I, I saw a TikTok the other day of some boys throwing eggs at cars in a parking lot just randomly, which kids are going to do crazy stuff. But apparently this is like a series of TikToks that they're doing. And it's like, where are these kids' parents? Well, I'm sure they're at work. Definitely. And I think more than anything, it's attention seeking from the children. So children have the desire to have a certain amount of attention. They have the uh, desire to feel special. And I think that them wanting the likes and the comments is a very clear representation of what they're lacking at home. We can replace the hugs from moms and dads with likes. We can replace conversation with comment. And it definitely seems to be more of an attention-seeking tactic that's being so widely normalized, it's concerning. So that's a horrible trend, egging people's cars. I mean, that goes to no respect for other people's property. And that's been mirrored by young adults and adults that are involved in uh, certain movements. They don't care what they destroy. I mean, I've seen people say, you know, that robbing and stealing is a form of, of payback for what these people are lacking because they didn't, you know, maybe have some kind of opportunity and, and whatnot. And so just want to dive a little bit deeper into changing that perspective from the adult perspective, because I think even a lot of us get caught up in social media, even if it's not the bad side of TikTok, even if we're not doing horrible things, we definitely have a little bit of a lack of accountability problem amongst society as a whole, no matter kind of what category you're representing. So I want to dive into that a little bit is what is some advice that you would give parents to bringing this love and this information back at home for teaching values? Well, in our home, we're really big on personal responsibility. It's that's one of the main values that we're trying to instill in our children. And so a lot of our our rules hinge on that. Our kids do have have access to like smartphones, but they're aware that we're monitoring what they're doing. And, you know, it's we've taught them the pros and cons of of internet usage and how to do that responsibly. And then we kind of throw them in the deep a little bit and say, okay, let me see like if you can apply what we've taught you. And I think that at the same time that we are raising kids that don't have enough supervision, don't have enough accountability, we're also coddling them way too much. And I'm not sure if this comes from 
guilt that you're not an at-home parent, but the idea that children, children are going to make mistakes. Of course, everyone's going to make mistakes, but that children are, you know, they have to hit their, scrape their knees a bunch of times. And I, I don't, I don't agree with any of that. Like, there's no reason why a child can't hear what you're saying and apply it and follow a rule. But if there's no one there to enforce the rule, if they are aware that there's no one there to make sure that they're following the rule when they're younger, then as they get older, they're not going to care anything about following the rules either. Why would they? No one knows if they don't follow it, if there's no one's home to keep up with what they're doing. So not just um, setting the rule, but following through. I myself have struggled with following through. My husband and I have had plenty of conversations about that, that we set rules and parameters. And sometimes I just kind of let my hands off the wheel. And before I know it, the children are doing exactly what we said, you know, please don't do. We thought we came to an understanding and so having to reel it back. So that kind of hits on consistency as well. So you can tell your kid, don't do this and don't do that. Um, and there has to be a level of trust there to where, like you said, just let your, you know, okay, now that I've given you the rules, let's see how you do, but then also following through with the consequences. And um, I also see the more we use social media, we're limiting our attention span for things. And I think that that's going to come through in parenting as well. If you don't recognize it and say, oh, wait, I did say, your chores have to be done before you have device time and stuff like that. Well, you you did the dishes, but you left, you know, these things around the sink. You kind of did it, uh, just to be blunt, just kind of like in a half-assed manner. So it wasn't good enough to just do it that way. You have to do it in full. So it's very concerning, the attention span, and just to see how it affects even us adults who didn't grow up with these devices. Um, and I'm seeing it more in, like, young teens, kids, because things are moving at such a rapid rate it's really the attention span we have to we have to recognize that and kind of combat it and then also making your kids aware so when it comes to like having honest conversation in the family what are some of the takes uh what are some of the lessons that you feel it's like really important to point out to the youth that's on these devices is like what are the the harms in scrolling and watching the seven second videos and things like that. Have you addressed things like that in your own home or what advice would you share if you have? Oh yeah. So none of our kids are on social media and we talked about the different dangers with that, not just with it, their intention span and how it affects their brain, but also just the fact that, you know, being young and just putting every thought you have out into the world, into the, you know, where other people can see, it's just not a great idea. It's probably not a great idea for adults either, you know, because you see people say a lot of stupid stuff on social media, but we, we really try and emphasize, like, make decisions now that will, that you'll be happy that you made later. And I think it's very difficult getting back to the feminism thing you know, we've kind of got this weird idea that like the home is mom's domain, where it's like, you know, this is literally dad's domain. And I think it's difficult for moms to be firm with their kids, like you were saying, like the follow up and, and to say like, no, it's fine. Like, you're fine that you don't have this. Your friends can all have it. And that's not going to, you know, that doesn't affect you, really. It can suck, but you don't need it. And I think it's a, it's a real sign of like the importance of dads in the home 
uh, especially with boys as they get older, but with girls as well, you know, to have that firm figure that can really help, help with the boundaries, help further instill the, the um, lessons that mom is teaching on the, you know, the general day to day, but who's going to have like less give. We've kind of relegated dad to like the armchair watching football after work and not not actively involved so much in the home life as much. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, like kind of a in the feminism infiltration in a lot of ways. So I think having, you know, definitely having two parents that are that are saying the same thing, that's very important. But having having the dad who's going to be firmer, who's not, not maybe not as easily emotionally manipulated, that's going to be really important. So with the feminist movement, I feel like not only did they they limit the father, I mean, they're trying to essentially exterminate the father. And I think when it comes to the opposite of that is being feminine and having the father play the masculine masculine role and you're looking at the nuclear family i think that there is a, a greater need and desire to expand the family unit like it should not all fall on mom it should not be just mom has to be the nurturer and the disciplinary like uh, people just i think don't realize how crucial it is to have both two parties playing those roles as opposed to putting it all on women. And that's one of my biggest problems with the feminist movement. I don't want to say I'm against women's rights. Like, yes, we should have rights. Uh, you know, we should be a, a functioning person of society, but also playing that role. But when it comes to at home, I don't want to do it all. I, d I don't want to be the love and the nurturer and the disciplinary. Like, I don't want to do this 24-7 and have to switch back and forth in my brain. That alone gives women a more masculine energy and masculine mindset. Or you just go all the way into the feminine and don't take a lot of responsibility for anything that you're doing. So I think looking at, you know, just young couples, um, in, inside of the family unit and figuring it out, I'd like to see more of a, a balance and, and playing roles um, in, in specific because the father can be loving as well. I think that's a big misconception is um, the father just only has to be the disciplinary. He only comes in when, when mom is really having a hard time. And I think if you're operating as more of like a unit which is you know a big part of the family unit and the and the nuclear home is that the father is there consistently to see um you know the love the good times and then also when the children are not doing what they're supposed to do that's supposed to be i think more so his role to step in and discipline and make sure and when i say discipline i don't mean you know spanking in specific but that level of accountability he has to lead the household and the wife as well i think it's um it's really toxic when it's just the husband only intercepts when there's a problem with the kids um, i think that gives the kids a very bad taste of what it is to be a father as well yeah absolutely like who wants to just always be the bad guy that would be very draining i think on any person and one of the things that feminism has kind of done you this kind of like 
something you said kind of sparked this thought earlier. It started the the trend of pushing people's lives outside of the home. So in a lot of families now, it's just a bunch of people who share a roof and the kids are in school, both parents work, like everyone's life is outside of the home. Whereas, you know, previous to, to you know, everyone going to work and public school and all of those things, life really revolved around the home a lot more. Even, you know, the industrial revolution took fathers out of the home as well in a lot of ways, because, you know, a lot of men did business in their home previous to that. But even in maybe like the 50s, you know, dad, you, you leave it to Beaver, all of those kind of, you know, shows from that time period. Dad's always coming home from work. He's happy to be home. The kids are like, yay, dad's home. And then it's like kind of like life starts for the day in a lot of ways because he goes to work because he works. He has to make money to support the family. But this is where his life actually is. And now everyone is really focused outwardly. And the home is not is not the mission anymore. And I think that that's, that's a big part of where we've kind of let things go awry with everybody, you know, being concerned with their rights and, and all, you know, being equal and all of that is like, you know, the home is really, that is the mission. You know, Hannah, I had not thought about it in that context. So thank you very much for saying that is, wow, that hold on for a second, because it's kind of like just shaping my perspective a little bit more because I'm thinking of like, how can we do this? I'm applying all these things to my own home as well. It's a journey. So my child's, uh, my children's father and I are, we're no longer together. Even when we were together, I had to be very independent because we really did not have a good life. It wasn't based on anything. It wasn't anything biblical. And that made me very depressed, which is why the situation ended because I couldn't, um, I couldn't make that happen within that relationship. And so if I was already doing everything on my own, I thought, you know, he's not going to come in and, and be this person that I want, like the leave it to beaver error type thing. And then now I'm married. Um, you know, my kids have a stepfather, we focus on life and all of those things, but I never thought about it uh, as far as like being life in the home. That's an awesome perspective that really just kind of put the whole puzzle together for me. So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, yeah, Nick, you're welcome. It, it's kind of like a one of those concepts that once it clicks, you're like, oh, wow. You know, because it is, it honestly is so removed from the way that we view things now you know it's like uh i don't know we just don't think about the fact that like your your home is your mission especially for women it's, i get in a lot of trouble on twitter for saying things like that but you know we we are women as help means we are here to help our husband as he accomplishes his mission and part of that, our part of that mission is the home in, a, in many ways, but it's really everyone's because at the end of the day, raising godly, well-adjusted children, that's the goal. That's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. And you can't do that if your focus is somewhere else. Yeah. Excellent take on that. Under the guise of women's rights. 
right? Nobody wants to be against women's rights. And so even, even saying that is a place that pushes men to the outskirts of the conversation, which I think that they should be involved in it, especially because it was the man that came up with the concept of women's rights that a lot of people don't know. But they're they're selling a lot of things as women's rights. So what do you think is like the most uh, the most crucial or the biggest lie about being a feminist? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest lie would be that probably abortion that it is women's a woman's right to to kill her child but i you probably don't want to go <laughs> go too far into that whole thing right now but that would be well i i don't i don't mind it i don't mind covering that because i think that it is a touchy subject but i think the more that we uh, stay away from it, the more harm that they're allowed to cause. And I'm sure that you have a great perspective on it, on why why it's not a woman's right to have an abortion. So I don't mind going there. If you want to touch on it, you can go as deep as you want to. I'm down for it. Oh, sure. I mean, it's really not that complicated. It's not your body. It's another person. No one else gets to just kill people because they're inconvenient. So it's science, you cannot find an embryology textbook or a medical textbook that says that life begins anywhere other than conception. So beyond that, you know, saying like, is it a life, blah, blah, blah. Like that's a philosophical argument. And if we're, if we're just making, you know, science-based arguments, it is a person, it's a human person. There's not anything else that it could possibly be. And it is alive. And yeah, so you just can't kill other people. It's not, it's not your body. It's a whole different body. So it's, it's a rather simple argument, I guess, when you, when you break it down. I actually agree with you. I very much agree with you that it's, that it's simple, but you see, again, just a lot of the argument for it. I can't, I can't understand the people that are saying it's a clump of cells, it's like a tumor, it's not this, it's not that. You know, one day in Bible study, we were talking about life, we were talking about how, you know, we're, we are created, how, you know, God makes us all individually, and it kind of tied back to, you know, even tied in some science to it, and I was just sitting on that for a little bit and I prayed and I'm sitting there with my eyes closed almost like in a meditative state and I started thinking about conception and I had the most beautiful vision that I had never had before in my life. I'm just like traveling and I'm thinking about life and I start thinking about conception and right now I'm like sitting with my eyes closed so I can just repaint this picture because it's like seeing the most beautiful thing you just can't forget it. And I'm inside of like my own body. And I think about the womb and I think about conception and how it's just this big, bright, beautiful light because life is a gift from God. I was thinking about valuing my own life and I just went kind of deeper and deeper and I saw it again. I saw the womb, I saw life happen and it was just this, like a starburst almost, like this big, beautiful, started out um, little and 
and and white and it got bigger and it was like had a little bit of yellow like a shimmery gold and even like some diamond aspect to it and it was I think the way that people maybe explain like the big bang if you could close your eyes and visualize that how they how you know we've seen that image before um just through like videos and science and that's what I really imagined the start of life being and I'm like god that's just it's the most beautiful thing and I just kind of sat with that and appreciated it and really became solid and every argument I could ever have for life is that it's such a beautiful gift. I can think about when life is taken away through um, heinous acts and how heartbreaking that is. And then I, I traveled deeper and I said, well, you've given this beautiful gift of life and it's created between man and woman and this miracle happens. And then I started thinking about the women that make the choice to take that life away and how men are pushed out of the conversation and how uh, a real man, how that must just affect them so deeply and the heartbreak. And I started just went back to me. And if, if something had happened to my child, the heartbreak I would feel and not being in control of, of what is happening to my child. And men absolutely have this connection as well and it's it shouldn't be just treated like it means nothing because life is everything Sorry. absolutely it's such a beautiful gift from god the bible says that god knew you before you were ever even a whisper of a thought on this earth and that is a beautiful thing you know we are all fearfully and wonderfully made and you know, at, at the moment of conception, you have a unique, your unique exact DNA, RNA strands. So I've spoken to women before with children and, you know, they'll say like, you know, I love my kids, but yeah, if I was in a different situation when I was pregnant, that, that might've been what I chose, you know, to abort. And, and when I look at them and I say, okay, but in your womb at that moment of conception your child was exactly the same person that they are right now like they had to develop which we are all still developing until we die that's just what humans do that's what everything that's living does until it dies um but they were at their core the exact person that they are right now and I don't know if people just haven't thought of it that way. A lot of times there is so much propaganda about like, oh, it's just a couple of cells and all of these different things. But a lot of times that really, it at least makes them pause. I'm not gonna claim to have changed anybody's mind, but it at least does make them pause because that, that gift of life, it is truly a, a real blessing. And I think that we, you, know, you can see this a lot with people who, I don't know if you've seen this, this kind of movement people will say like well i didn't ask to be born and they're like mad that they were and so it's um, the the attitude that life is not precious that it's not a gift it's, it's infiltrated past you know just the abortion thing but you're totally right that men are affected extremely negatively by abortion my husband actually 
paid for the life of our oldest child when he was in high school. I, he had the child in high school. I legally adopted him after we got married. But the the girl that he got pregnant in high school, she was just going to have an abortion. And, you know, Tony scraped together a bunch of money and he paid her $5,000 down and X amount of money throughout the first 10 years of our child's life. And, you know, so that she wouldn't abort. And every time I tell that story, there's a, in, in like a space, almost every time there's a man in there who kind of maybe not fully breaks down, but breaks down about how he had a girlfriend who aborted his child and oftentimes did not even tell him that it happened until it was over and didn't have the chance to do that. And it is heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking. I definitely agree. And I've, I've seen that happen um, in <clears throat> a lot of say online world and spaces as well. It's like inevitable and it's almost shocking. The first couple of times it happened, I was shocked that as soon as the topic of abortion came up and it was a, I'll just say safe space for men to speak because we're not uh, screaming liberals <laughs> and shut it down, like kicking men out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they, they come up and it is heartbreaking. So I did, um, I did an interview with Dale um, and his daughter uh, from the Karis Project and um, he shared a story of his, I believe it's his wife, went and had an abortion and told him that it was a miscarriage. And that's just heart heartbreak you can't you can't recover from. And not only just if you're even open and honest about going to have it, a few things is one is men are shut out of the conversation. If a man was to turn around and say, you know, my girl wants to go have an abortion and blah, blah, blah. There are too many people that will say, well, it's her choice. Well, it's her choice. Well, it's her choice. So it's reaffirming the insanity that it's her choice. And that's not true. And that also, I think, is going to make men block, you know, become hardened in those feelings if they don't feel like they have a place to express it. So that's definitely a result of the feminist movement. And they have to feel betrayal. They have to feel heartache. And then we're reducing them to a box to say you can't say anything is just kind of insane to me when they had every right to participate in it. I want to go back to when you're saying the argument, uh, well, people nowadays saying like, oh, I wish I wish I wasn't born. Like I didn't choose to be born even so much as that one ridiculous girl that was trying to sue her parents for her being <laughs> born. As oh, I forgot about that. Ebby <laughs> and I touched on like that's that's the result when you're taught not to value life. If you don't value life in the womb, you don't value your life. I think that's a not only feminist, but I think that that's a lack of morals and having a good understanding of what is so beautiful about about life. And I think that if you if you don't know God, if you don't read scripture, that that it makes it difficult to come to those understandings. I think they're actively denying it. I know why they have to be so hateful in all of these things. Like they have to scream down the conversation. Um, they have to go with these ridiculous things. And if you say anything else, you're you're a horrible person. They're going to slap some label on you. They're just going to scream until you shut up. But I think that the voices for life need to be so much louder 
than the voices of destruction. They need to understand the true destruction that they're doing and the harm that they're doing to society. So I want to tie the men's aspect into the feminist as well and how that's really had such a negative effect on them. Such a, a negative effect. And you're right. Like it, it has hardened men. There's a kind of trad influencer girl who posted something the other day about how men shouldn't have to pay child support. And I don't really have any idea where she was coming from with that. But, you know, she's pretty popular. And I just said, like, why shouldn't men have to support their children? The goal is for kids to be born within the confines of a marriage. And that's, you know, kind of the ideal. But if you're having kids with people that you're not married to, like, yeah, you should support your children. That's That was like a crazy point of view to me. And a lot of the men who responded, their answer was, I don't have any say in whether or not she has the baby or not. She gets to decide that. So why don't I get a say this affects my life? You know, she could just, essentially, a lot of them essentially were just saying she could have just killed the baby. But then some of the other ones, they weren't actually advocating for abortion. They just were kind of pointing out like a completely unfair aspect of it, which they're not wrong about. Like, it's not right that they have absolutely no say in the matter. That is also their child. I mean, I'm an abortion abolitionist, so I don't think anybody should be able to abort their baby at all. But it has hardened men. The idea that you could say, oh, well, just kill my kid like I don't want to give you money for it that's that's mind-blowing to me that a man could get to that to that point of view but also that is a result of of the constant feminist messaging that those kids don't belong to him basically you see this a lot you know there's so many single mother single mother homes and you know you said earlier that they are trying to kind of like erase dad and and they have done that in a lot of ways and dads are just kind of like viewed as a paycheck, a lot of parts of society. And I just really, I can't blame them for feeling that way, or at least I understand why they feel that way, even though obviously it's a terrible way to view things, because that is pretty much what they've been told. Well, it's the only logical conclusion for men to get to that point. If we keep saying equal rights, equal rights, and then the life is hers whether to choose whether it lives or dies continues or not that's the only logical conclusion that men can come to is that if you have so much of a choice of whether this baby is born or not then i should have the equal right to say whether i pay for it or not i would like to see them push to say well if you get a say i get a say i would like to see more of an equal right in in that aspect of it, or, or like you said, just abolish it completely, I think would be a, a fantastic thing to do. But I just don't think in this society or any time in the near future that we will be able to get to that point. So the only way to really correct the course for that is to have men stand up for their rights so they don't have to be intertwined with this feminist women's rights movement. They can start their own movement. I mean, that's what men do. Men started the feminist movement anyways. So why don't men start their own movement of advocating for the equal rights when it comes to the life of a child? I don't know if it's just because they would have too much to prove because the girl could say that's not his kid. 
and do what she wants to do. Oh, it's just such a slippery slope. I just don't. So I don't know how to necessarily correct it, which is why I'm trying to focus on also the the nuclear home aspect of things and just point out to you know, I don't know that we're going to change any minds of adults, but maybe we'll get some younger listeners that says, well, you know, I'll be open to this other side of conversation and we can have that light bulb go out. Um, or even young men, I think it really goes even a little bit before that is before you make the decision to um, get in bed with someone, you need to think about all of the things that are the consequences of those actions. Like, having a baby or getting someone pregnant is a definite consequence to having sex, which is why it needs to be guarded so well. It's not something that should just be frivolous, but you look at society, you got WAP and twerking and um, the male songs about, you know, I mean, they'll just literally stick their wiener in absolutely anything. And that's deeply disturbing. Uh, just a little funny thing that I think about is, do you remember a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe it started about 10 years ago that I really noticed it, but I'm also not incredibly old to know that if it happened before, is that there was a real big push for, uh, I'm just going to be blunt, for anal sex in heterosexual relationships. And I think that that had a lot to do with the trans agenda. They made it popular and trendy to try anal sex in a heterosexual relationship and make it normalized, um, which is completely unnormal because you shouldn't be doing sexual acts that don't result in uh, procreation because that's not what God intended. Our holes for, they have specific, very specific uses. But so they did that. And then on top of the what was uh, considered trendy on how women look, the plastic surgery, the big lips, the big boobs, the big butt, all of those things made it a segue into the trans movement. Because men are men have been taught to be so morally corrupt that if it is a guy that has these things that look like what society is saying looks like a normal woman, that you really can't tell the difference if you squint your eyes or you have a drink or you don't look hard enough. And then they're more likely to participate in anal sex. That is my uh, conspiracy, is that that was all propagandized by design. What do you think of that? Uh, it makes sense. I, I kind of have my own working theory that all of that is meant to play into the kind of transhumanist agenda of sort of separating us from our our bodies a little bit. You know, that's a, separating us from our bodies in the sense of, you know, overcoming them. That's a lot of the birth control stuff. That's abortion. That's the gay relations. It's like, well, it, it's not a woman, but it looks just like a woman. So, you know, and kind of almost mentally separating us from the reality of our physical bodies. And a lot of that, like the, the face tattoo trend, I feel like is kind of part of that because it's like, why would you want this on your face? My husband's covered in tattoos. So I don't, there's no, I have no issue with tattoos, but a lot of those trends have gone so far. Um, and a lot of the plastic surgery tre uh, trends, and I don't know, a lot of it just seems very removed from reality in a lot of ways. 
So your kind of like conspiracy, it, it actually makes a lot of sense, I think. But if we start to look at things just a little bit more closely, I, I know that once I removed myself from, um, I took a break from the internet for a while, like social media, um, I stopped listening to just what was considered like regular music and all of those things. Once I took a break, it was only like maybe 30 days and then went back to it. Everything now stands out like you wouldn't believe. And all I have to do, even my husband, he still listens to, um, you know, whatever is trendy music. He works in a barber shop. It's all young guys. So just put yourself in that realm, like whatever is, whatever horrible music is playing, like that's the kind of things that he, you know, will listen to because it's just around him all day long. Um, well, he makes a choice to do it. So I don't want to sound like I'm making an excuse for him. But what I started doing is when he plays something or there's some music on a clip and he thinks that it's like, you know, he repeats the word, like kind of vibe into that music or whatever. What I'll do is just simply repeat what they said in my regular voice. And man, I've never seen something create so many problems before. <laughs> just so instantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I just repeat it back and it's like his jaw hits the floor every time. And I'm like, that's literally what you're listening to. Like, how do you think that that affects your mind? So I, prior to that, it started with, um, you know, knowing about like kind of the satanic agenda and the pedophilia in Hollywood and things like that. And once I really grasped it, and took a break and went back to it, I can almost never watch things on TV like movies and shows and stuff like that because I pick up on the most subtle things that people do and say. And so it's ruined all entertainment industry between doing those two things. Anything that's normalizes entertainment industry is just absolutely ruined for me. And I try to point it out to other people and it's just by doing simple things. So rather than getting on my soapbox and saying, you shouldn't listen to this. It's demoralizing you. It's infiltrating your brain, blah, 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 propaganda, all of this stuff. Instead of sounding like I'm so crazy, it's just as simple as repeating back. And so you can do that even when people are saying these things, like it's a clump of cells, it's, it's this, or men have no space or whatever. And then the music, the TV and stuff like that, just whatever it is you pick up on that is really honestly horrible, just repeat it back in your regular voice and sometimes that's all you need for people to go oh <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh one of the things we do a lot with our kids is discuss the messaging that's being pushed in what they're watching what they're listening to um you know commercials stuff like that it because there is so much this is like a a bit of a dramatic word, but I think it fits. There's a lot of brainwashing messages that are being pushed in like everything to just normal people in the media that they're taking in. Because it's like you said, it's subtle. It's one of those things. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I have the same problem as you that I just, I can't remember the last movie I watched because the Roman Polanski letter like did it for me. I was like, okay, I'm done with these people. But yeah, there's just messaging everywhere. It's so subliminal and it is brainwashing you to kind of like subtly accept these things. So you had mentioned you know, the, the push for anal sex. This is not normally something I talk about too much in public, but uh, my husband has this theory 
that if you keep up with porn trends, you will see that play out in the norm of society within the next, you know, two to five years, depending. And so anal sex is a big thing now, you know, and it's, it's, I don't understand that. And I totally agree with you. It's not natural. It's not something we should be doing. It's not healthy. Um, and there's actually a lot of there's young women who are having to have reconstructive surgery because of that weird push. But that was the hot porn of three to four years ago. That was what was trending. And so that is a way that they actually John Doyle did this like two hour dissertation. He's a young Gen Z kind of political commentator. Uh, he did this like two hour. He calls it a dissertation on how porn affects young men's brains and i show it to my kids all the time because 100 they are brainwashing you with the porn it's everywhere they are brainwashing you and it's kind of scary once you see it you can't unsee it and unplugging from society is definitely like a good thing yeah maybe we should um write a little ebook on like a, a detox like how to detox biblically and that is just shut off all electronic devices just sit there and be with yourself like i said that moment of just being with myself helped me come to fully understand how beautiful life is because there's so many times our minds are so busy and we are always being entertained by something that that is that is a real big key is to also sit with yourself whether you believe in god or you don't believe in god or whatever whatever you'll you i think you'll come to know god if you sit with yourself that you have an internal dialogue that comes from somewhere and if you're not sitting with yourself and exploring why are you thinking things why are you the way you are kind of like self-analytical you can't do that while you're constantly being entertained you have to step away from things you that's something that you consciously have to choose for self-improvement but if we keep going down the road of no accountability for anyone no self-accountability and things like that we're going to get further and further away from it so i think if you ask someone are you accountable for yourself their instinctive response will be yes but then you ask them to sit on that and think about you know, what are you really being accountable for? Where are you making excuses in your life? What are you, you know, kind of blaming things? Like some people blame their zodiac signs. That's always really funny. Some people blame their childhoods, which, you know what, that can be traumatic, that can be deep. But if you don't sit with yourself, how are you ever going to heal from things that have happened to you? How are you going to move on and give people forgiveness? Because you don't give people forgiveness for them. You give it for yourself. One time I heard a story about holding on to barbed wire. And that is like the pain and hurt that you've been through in life. And it really benefits you to open your hand and to let go of those things that are hurting you on a daily basis, your reaction to certain situations, because my dad used to beat me, my mom never loved me, you know, and I, I, I'm really not trying to mock people because those are very real things that I myself have gone through. But I can get to the point where it is a little bit funny, because I had to stop making excuses and let go of the barbed wire, sit with myself and say, you know what, 
every action I do presently is going to have an outcome. And is that outcome going to be seen as a negative consequence or a positive consequence of my actions? Because everything you do and say and think has an outcome. A lot of that is just so they, it's, it's more of that like separating you from yourself. Actions have consequences, you know, actions have reactions. That's na a natural part of the world. But women are kind of in this position now where like they're not responsible for their actions at all. Like they can have promiscuous sex and they can take birth control and get abortions and they don't have to worry about anything like that. And if they're not happy, they can blame the wage gap or, or all these other things. And it's like, and we've really, in so many ways, it's gotten, it's pulled men in too, because now you've got the, the weird kind of red pill manosphere dudes who blame women for all of their troubles. So it's negatively affected everyone. But ultimately, like everyone needs to be able to sit by themselves and look around and recognize that the life you have is the life that you built. And and you are responsible for that. I had a, an extremely traumatic childhood. It was not great. Well, you know, the early part of it. But, you know, my life is awesome now. I don't I, I didn't have any further contact with my parents after I was taken from their care. But I don't look around and, and think like, oh, this bad thing is happening to me because they didn't raise me right or they were awful or whatever. You know, I built this life. This is the life I built for myself. Well, my husband and I built it, but you know what I mean. So getting back to just the idea of taking responsibility for where you are, for what you've done, that's I think that's going to be a really important part of getting society back on track. And changing adults' minds is really difficult, but, you know, raising the next generation to think about things differently, that's how we make real change. Even Norma repented for her complicitness in propelling the abortion movement. And uh, even abortion is not without consequence. That's... Uh, just like we talked about the the role of men and how that probably uh, you know affects them in various ways it, it does for women too this thing that's being propagandized is the screaming women and oh uh, they're going to highlight the person that has had you know several abortions and i don't regret it because i choose me i choose me right once you have an abortion you have to live with that as well and it comes with more times than not regret let me point this out, is that I'm also seeing a portion of the people advocating for abortion that are saying women are not celebrating getting an abortion. They're trying to call out that that is a lie, which I appreciate them doing that, but they talking about the griefs that they have with it, and they're still advocating for abortion. It's a very bizarre mindset that I don't think that I'll be able to understand is justifying the ending of someone's life. Um, it does affect you, and more times than not, it's done out of convenience. So in an argument about it, they're going to throw in, oh, well, you know, I need to go to college, or oh, whatever excuse that they have, but you can 
you know, you can do those things, but it boils down to teaching our youth that there is a consequence for your actions, whether it be, um, you know, it starts with having sex. If we focus more on having sex outside of the marriage and the consequence that comes with that and all of these horrible things that can, you know, that all these horrible consequences, right? The things that you are going to hold on to and, and blame for the rest of your life starts with really education. And that's a conversation that I would also like to have in the future is there's a big push in the conservative movement for not having sex education in schools. And it's because obviously it's extremely morally corrupt. Um, they're pushing pedophilia and talking about abortion and how that's tied into women's rights. But I think that us as a community of believers and people that want to take accountability for their actions, I also think us as a community of adults need to have open and honest conversations about what is the right way to talk to your children about it. I think that there is a lack of community for that because we don't operate under the mindset of being able to maybe talk about sex. So some of us might be more reserved and, and not want to think about it, not want to talk about it and things like that. But we also don't want someone to teach our children about it. Here's the thing. Someone has to tell your child about it and it should be you and you should do it in a way that's suitable for your life, your lifestyle, your child's life. But there needs to be some basic truths that we can tell children about it. And it doesn't always have to be biblical. It's nice if it is, but there is also um, an alternative, realistic way to talk to your children about it. So hopefully that's a conversation that we can have in the future. I don't want to dive into that because we're trying to keep it to feminism, but I just wanted to kind of toss that out there is that I think a lot of people and even my age range are not always prepared to talk to kids about, you know, what it is to have sex and how you should protect yourself and why it's important to wait and things like that. So I'm hoping that we can kind of get into that at another time. I think a lot of parents are not prepared to talk to their kids about a lot of things, which is a big part of the problem now. You know, Deuteronomy says that you should teach your children God's laws and ways as you walk down the road, as you sit in your house, write them on your door frame. You know, that is how, you know, people ask me a lot of times, like my parenting secret. And it's like, we literally just talk to our kids a lot about everything. You know, we talk about the consequences of our actions. We talk about how society got here. We talk about the importance of being, you know, a moral person. We talk about sex. We talk about messaging, you know, just literally whatever. We just talk about it a lot. And, you know, there's not moms in the home anymore. Bringing it back to feminism, like those conversations are not happening. And it shows with the kids, you know, with the, the young people. I am pleasantly surprised though to learn how much more conservative a lot of gen z is than i think millennial i'm a millennial i'm 35 you know and a lot of my peers they just are like psychotically liberal and you know a lot of my kids friends my adult children like their friends even the ones who are you know our oldest went to a a secular university and even his friends who are not, a lot of them are not even necessarily Christians, but they look around and they're like, wow, this is not working. A lot of the, you know, the, the young ladies who are married now, they're getting pregnant, they're having kids, they're choosing to stay home. And it's, 
it's honestly been very like refreshing to see and it's like okay there is there's some hope here where we might be able to turn things around in a couple generations you know definitely you know as much as the propaganda wants to put up this messaging of the feminist movement i think they expose themselves a lot especially when it comes to protest and people that we consider to be um, extreme feminists and uh, liberals and and all of those things as they expose themselves for really how i'm just going to be blunt how nasty it really is and there has to be something lacking for you to get to the point to be screaming as if you're being attacked just from someone else's words just for someone advocating for life i think that that exposes a lot we can't assume that our youth is so misguided that they're going to fall for all of that i think that we can do a better job at promoting being feminine being masculine the nuclear family we're suppressed in that in that messaging whether we're posting it or not or whatever um, we typically try to have a little bit more of a private lifestyle but i think there's room for us to lift that up but even being in the gardening realm on social media i am also seeing more young people go because they want to be organic right and you can't be or if you're living in an organic lifestyle too, is that that's probably better for your mental health and you're more balanced. They're doing organic food, they're meditating, all of these things. So while it might not necessarily be tied to their relationship with God, they're more likely to be closer to God and the earth and the natural order of things than they are to be full of processed food. I think we're really battling the mcdonald's eaters if, if you want my honest opinion the people that no McDonald's. it's true it's true it i mean we try to eat pretty healthy we do you know we have a garden this summer i put up a lot of vegetables we can a lot um my family is very like old school so that's just something i've done most of my life and my i'm not a gardener but my daughters are like into it and so they do that with their dad i can tell a difference like if we if we get really busy and we're eating out more or something like that, it's, I can, my brain doesn't feel like it's functioning quite at like the best, highest capacity. And I do think that has something to do with it. You know, I think feminism is ultimately misogynistic because it tells women that their natural inclinations, their natural desires, their natural, you know, abilities and the things that they naturally do really well in that's not good enough you need to be able to compete on a man's you know a man's field to really be able to to be important to be doing something that means something and so it actually kind of makes sense that if you were living like a more organic life you would be more in touch with like that organic part of you that's like you know this is just how i am you know it's called mother nature for a reason. Felt like Trump when I said that. I did a little head tilt. <laughs> that's an excellent point. I'm glad we kind of rounded out to that. You know, that's a part of propaganda too. The convenient life. Convenient, convenient, convenient. Convenient abortions. Convenient sex. Convenient food. Convenient life. Life is not meant to be convenient. And so uh, bringing it back to 
farming and playing in the dirt and being in touch with mother nature if you're in touch with mother nature mother nature will probably instinctively guide you you have to connect to your instincts and stop being so fake and if you eat fake food you're more likely to be a fake person just for, as an observational um, standpoint of things i've done the same thing i asked her what do you think a Funyun is supposed to be? Like, what kind of food does that look like? It's supposed to be, she's like, oh, kind of like an onion ring. So maybe like a, a fried onion. And I said, yes, Funyun, fried onion, right? That's That makes the most sense. And I said, you turn that package over and you tell me what the ingredients are. Because if it's a fried onion, it should be onion and the mix they put it in, like the breading, the flour, right? And fried. And so she turned it over and she's reading and reading. And the last thing was like onion powder. And I think that's a healthy way to, you know, the actual ingredients, focus on that, focus on the food guys. Another thing that we, we are not, we're not into it quite like you, but I always tell the kids, like, you know, if it has more than six ingredients, it's probably just total trash. And like we kind of tied it back to the more processed food you eat, the more clouded your brain's going to be, clouded judgment. And also, I mean, just deeply affects your mood and keeps you from from being the beautiful person that God created you to be if you're clogging up this beautifully designed system that he's given us we have to take care of it and uh there's just nothing that's super duper convenient about it it doesn't have to be difficult it does not have to be difficult but it doesn't it shouldn't just be coming out of a box all of the time or or whatever so I'm glad I was able to to share that because we like that literally just ended um, last week. And so it's kind of just been on my heart to share with people. You know, we focus on holistic health a lot as well. So people might be going, why are we talking about the feminist movement? But it's just because it that's just contributing to a breakdown. It's the opposite of a holistic life. That's not listening to the patterns of of nature not listening to the word of God. This is something that is is man-made. And so that's how it really ties into a holistic lifestyle is that is not a holistic mindset. Parenting I, win for you. Like, congratulations on that. That is so nice, though, when you are trying to teach your kids something and they finally pick it up. Like, that's such a moment for every parent. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I will keep I will probably provide some updates as we go a little bit further. This has been an excellent conversation. I want to thank you so much for being here. Um, in closing, I wanted to ask, um, I do have one final question for you. And you could take a moment to think about it if you'd like before you answer. Question is, is if you had one minute to speak and that message was going to be broadcast to the world, everybody would have the opportunity to hear it. What would you say? You need to repent and turn to Christ. God's son died for you. He loves you. And, you know, turn from your sin and worship him. And, yeah, I don't know. I would have to fill up the whole minute, but I think that would basically be my message. Repent, turn from your sin. Christ died for you. That's a beautiful message. I think yeah. it's always a great time to encourage people to to turn to God. And um, you'll be surprised at how much that can impact your life for the positive. I do like to point out that I think a roadblock that a lot of people have when it comes to turning to God, especially once they're in their adulthood, 
is there's this perception that um, everything you have done or do is a disappointment to God. And I think it's important to highlight that you also bring God a lot of joy and pride when you're out doing the right thing or just doing the right thing for your family. And not everything you do is a disappointment to him. You have the opportunity to have a beautiful relationship with him and talk with him because he is the best father and let him guide your life. And it's not all doom, gloom, and disappointment. You can um, every day have actions, I'm sure, that bring him joy and pride, but you do have to make that commitment to follow his word and to try to do better. And so that means repenting for the things that we don't do so well. But the great thing is, is um, God often provides us an opportunity to wake up and do it again and give it another try. So just be thankful and try to take that opportunity every day. Absolutely. And then I would just tack on to that, you know, feminism is the worst. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad we were finally able to connect. And um, I do have a space coming up where we'll kind of talk about these things and continue to highlight ways that we can bring it back to the nuclear family. So I hope that you can put that on your books and join us for that. Yeah, thank you again. And if you enjoyed this show, please like and share it with a friend. We appreciate you guys all being here and we'll connect with you in the future. Thanks, guys. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.